One Morning in Prayer with Kevin Miller. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. You are greater than all things, and to you I lift my eyes. Huh, I wonder when that ceiling was last painted. Because I, I think it must have been that summer before Joe DeZuan moved to Idaho. I wonder how he and Carrie are doing. Man, their kids must be big now. I, I, okay, Lord, I honor you. I just come before you. What I want is to be with you. Why has Downton season four not come yet? How long does it take the BBC? It's probably not going to be that good anyway because they killed off half the cast in season three. But still, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. Excuse me, excuse me, just got a text. <laughs> Call you back in five. Oh my gosh, look at the time. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> oh, we're in a series on prayer, friends. And we decided, you know what? Let's go after the most common challenge in prayer. Let's go after the challenge that is named more than any other as a frustration in prayer. I called a friend of mine, Tim Jones, who's written eight books on prayer. I said, Tim, you've written more than I will ever know about prayer. And, and you've taught on prayer all over the country. You've led retreats on prayer. What is the most common challenge that people bring up to you when you're with them about prayer? He said, oh, that's easy. The number one is, my mind wanders. I sit down to pray, and woo, it's all over the place. I don't know how you feel when that happens, but I'll tell you how I feel. First of all, I feel frustrated, right? I'm like, why is it that I have the attention of a goldfish? You know what? <laughs> What is with this one second attention span? And then I feel guilty. I'm like, Lord, your word says, be still and know that I am God, and I can't get past the be still part. And then I feel kind of insecure because I don't know how everybody else is praying, but I'm pretty sure that when those other Christians are sitting down to pray, that they are more spiritual, more perceptive, more effective, more devoted, and more on fire than what I'm experiencing because my mind is wandering. And so, oh, this morning, I want to help every one of us with this challenge. I hope that this morning will be one of the most simple messages I've ever given. I hope this morning will be the, one of the most practical sermons I've ever given because my goal for you is that you would feel less guilt in prayer and that you would feel more freedom in prayer, that your guilt about your mind wandering would go down and your freedom to pray would go up. Let's talk together this morning. Now, before I get into the outline that you see there in the bulletin, I just want to give kind of an umbrella word. And that is, how should you and I feel when our minds wander in prayer, which they will? Well, I don't know if you've noticed this, but minds wander. That's what they do. Like, you can be in a job interview for a job that you desperately want. You are so hoping to land this job interview, and so there's so much riding on it, you think you would be, like, fixed on every word that's coming out of the hiring manager's mouth. And yet, even then, you can be going, hey, nice clock. I wonder, did they get that at Crate and Barrel? And you're like, oh, 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 yeah, what are my strengths? Uh, one of my strengths is focus, you know? <laughs> okay, so... I, I, I have started reading, like, what, what have some of the greatest Christians who have written and lived the life of prayer done with this? You take, for example, Teresa of Avila, clearly one of the masters of the life of prayer. She started something like 
20 monastery or convents, um, all devoted to prayer. And she writes extensively about it, a uh, woman in the 1600s. And one of the things you notice about her is she's not uptight about the fact that her mind wanders. See, you and I, when our minds wander, we immediately go into that frustration, guilt, insecurity. But what, the, what the, the, those who have matured more in the life of prayer, you know what they'd go into? Humble self-acceptance. They're like, Lord, you know my mind wanders, but my heart is still toward you. Receive even this wandering. I, 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 I heard this one time when I was, uh, had the chance to hear the late Cardinal Bernadine of Chicago. This was back at a time when his life was intense and pressured because there were all the Catholic priest scandals in the Diocese of Chicago, and so everybody hated him. And then the diocese was having to close down underperforming schools that, that they couldn't afford to fund any longer, and so everybody hated him. And so someone raised their hand and said, how do you pray when you have that kind of pressure? And he said, well, I, I get down on my kneeler every morning for 15 minutes. And there are times where those 15 minutes are very fluent in prayer and focused. And there are other mornings where I sit down, I kneel down, and, and I, my mind is just racing with the pressures and what I'm going to have to face that day and the meetings I'm going into. And yet, when I get up at the same time after 15 minutes and, you, and I say, Lord, that is my prayer to you today. You know that my intent was to be with you. So receive even these muddled musings and wanderings of my mind as my prayer to you. Do you see the difference? You see, we think that perfect performance is what actually connects us to God in prayer. It's humility. Jesus made this like abundantly clear in one of his more famous stories where he talks about a prayer meeting where two people are in the prayer meeting. One, two men went to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, meaning a super intense committed and devoted follower of God and the other a despised tax collector somebody who is not actually that religious and so the Pharisee stands by himself and prays this prayer I thank you God that I'm not a sinner like everyone else I don't cheat I don't sin I don't commit adultery my mind doesn't wander in prayer I'm certainly not like he didn't say that I'm certainly not like that tax collector for I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income so you think this guy is the guy that is impressing God right here but the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I don't even know how to pray. And Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. How freeing would it be for you if you understood that humility is what connects you to the Lord in prayer. And so it doesn't matter if your mind wanders. You go, you know what, Lord, I'm just a kid in a big body. I've got this ADD mind, and I still love you. Just receive my wandering thoughts as my prayer to you. Some of you, that's all the application you actually need from this morning's sermon. Just that. Because it's going to free you up to not go into the frustration, guilt, and insecurity cycle about your prayer life. All right. Now, God in his kindness, though, he knows that our minds are prone to wander, so he gives us ways to pray that involve more than our mind. And I want to cover three of them in the remaining time I have this morning. The first one is to pray with your body. Pray with your body. Now, Christianity is an intensely physical religion. It is relentlessly bodily in the way that it works. 
when you start your Christian life, we're going to take you right back there to that font, and we're going to saturate you with water. Your body is going to be covered in water. And then to sustain you along the way, we're going to invite you forward each week in worship to take a piece of bread, put it in your mouth, swallow it. We're going to give you a sip of wine, and you'll feel the burn of the burgundy. Do you see how physical it is? And Christianity has never apologized for that and never will because God the Father created the body and Jesus the Son took on the human body and God the Holy Spirit is, is, loves to indwell the human body. It's his temple. And yet some of us, depending on your tradition or background or whatever, your Christianity and therefore your prayer life is mostly a mental Christianity. It is trapped up in this little thing of gray matter right here, and it's kind of cramped. It needs some air. If you will invite the body into your prayer life, you will find more freedom and more power in prayer. Now, if you look through the Bible, you will find over and over that those people in the Bible who were following God and praying used their bodies very intently so in prayer. For example, let's take the posture of kneeling. Kneeling is a posture that says, I, I don't have what I need. And I'm so desperate, I'm going to get down and beg. It's that bad for me. And so you look in the Old Testament, and there's King Solomon. When Solomon finished making these prayers and petitions to the Lord, he stood up in front of the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands raised toward heaven. This is the king. Kings don't kneel. Oh, yes, they do when there's a greater king. And, and, and then you go to the, the New Testament and you see Peter. Peter's facing a situation where this woman in the church has died. And, and how does he pray? Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Or you see Paul. He, he's had this meeting with the elders from the church at Ephesus that he'd spent so much time with and he loves them. And he said when he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. You could kneel in prayer. Or you could raise your hands in prayer. This was a very common posture. In fact, if you go to the catacombs in Rome, you will see painted into the walls a person praying like this. It's what's called the Oran's position. And you'll see the priest at the communion table assuming that posture in prayer. This is a posture that says, Lord, I'm looking to you and I'm open to whatever you have for me. And it's, it's there in the Psalms. You can see it in, in Psalm 141, verse 2. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. I'm offering up to you, and I'm using my body to do that. Or Paul says in 1 Timothy, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. It's not just a charismatic thing. It's a biblical thing. All right, or let's take flat out, face down, on the floor, prostrate. This is the posture of, God, you are so overwhelming in your holiness, I dare not get that any, any higher than that. And I am so conscious of my own sinfulness before you that I'm going flat out. And you see this in, in the Old Testament when Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and, and he, he calls upon God to send fire down from heaven, and God answers his prayer. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, and when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. 
I'd never actually prayed this way until 20-some years ago when um, uh, Father Stewart's predecessor, Father William, was the rector. And he came into a meeting on Saturday morning one time, and he said, I just feel like we all ought to get down on our faces on the floor and pray. And everybody's looking sort of dubiously at this carpet, which has not been cleaned, you know. But we did. And I'm telling you, the tenor of those prayers changed. Because when you are flat on your face with your nose pressed into the ground, you're not going to pray some sort of trite or or sort of half-hearted prayer. Your body has now joined you in prayer, and your body is saying you are before a holy God. Let your words be few. And some of you, if you brought your body into your prayer life, you would have so much liberty and so much more power. I'll tell you how, uh, one, one way that's really working for me right now is walking. I take one or two walks a day, 10 to 25 minutes, depending on how much time I've got. And when I walk, I pray. And it's amazing how just the physical motion of my body keeps me in prayer. And, uh, and, and oftentimes my hands are out like this because I'm praying as I'm walking. I, it looks like the prayer of the undead, you know? <laughs> um, but involve, here's an application for you. Is there a way that you could invite your body into your life of prayer? I don't know how that would be, but there are so many ways laid out for us in the Bible, and God gives us that resource. Now, a second resource that God gives are other languages. You can pray with other languages. I want to talk about three languages this morning. One, the language of music, and two, the language of art, and three, the spiritual language that's described in the New Testament known as tongues. All right, let's talk music. The book in the Bible that has become the dominant language of prayer, you could basically say this is where Christians learn how to pray, it's, it's the book that more shapes our prayer language than any other book in the Bible is what's called the book of Psalms. It's in the middle of the Bible. And you go to the Psalms, and there's, there's language for any occasion that you might have in prayer. But what's interesting is the Psalms are songs. They're song lyrics. That's why if you're looking through the Psalms, you'll see little notations like, to the choir director, to be played on strings, or that Hebrew word that we don't even know how to translate it, selah which I think means musicians jam out here, okay? (laughs) And so why is it that God has given us this language of music? Because he knows that in music you can express your heart and you can pray in a way that goes sort of in, with, around, and under your own mind. And it allows you to pray with greater freedom and fluidity and focus, as we all know, don't we, when we experience here this morning in worship. And so, some of you, you need to just do what Paul says, where he says, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Sing with a psalm. Sing with a hymn. Just, even if you can't sing very well, just pray out with music. You can make up your music. That's what's called a new song to the Lord. You know what? It's okay. You're not going to write it down as a perfect composition. It's just expressing your heart to the Lord. Now, some of you, I know that will freak you out a little bit and you'll be thinking about how bad the music is and so then then just pull out your iPhone put in the earbuds and put on some worship music that ministers to you I've got different playlists on mine I've got one because there's times where nothing speaks to my soul like black gospel music and so I got a whole playlist with black gospel music another one it's called worship which has a lot of the music like we hear on Sunday another one it's called healing which has very soothing music that ministers when my soul is just kind of disrupted 
And so bring the language of music into your prayer life. You'll find a, a release with that. All right, the language of art. I remember one time I was on a prayer retreat, and this sounds very spiritual, except I was actually sent to go there. I was sentenced to go there. Um, <laughs> I was in a midlife malaise, and my wife said, I can't help you anymore. Go see Doug. And I went to see Doug, and Doug said, I can't help you anymore. Go on a prayer retreat. And so I show up at this prayer retreat, and I've got a few books, and honestly, I don't feel like reading any of them. And I know I'm supposed to be there to pray, but the whole point, the reason I'm there, is because I've been stuck in prayer, and I can't really pray the way I want to pray. So I wandered into the chapel, trying to find something to do, and there, on the wall, was a carving of Jesus when he falls under the weight of the cross. He's down on the ground. And there is Simon of Cyrene that the Roman soldiers are about to pull in and make carry the cross because Jesus can't carry it anymore. And somehow in that moment, God used the language of art to speak to me in a way that nothing else had been able to get through to tell me two things. One was, Jesus knows you're falling under the weight of this cross in your life. He knows what it's like to have a cross so heavy you can't carry it. But... He's, God is going to provide for you people to help carry it for you. I didn't need anything else on the retreat. The language of art spoke to my soul and helped me to pray and re-engage me in prayer. And some of you, if there's a favorite painting or a favorite icon or a sculpture, put it in a place in prayer where you can draw on that as a way to pray. My wife's been doing something called praying with color. She actually pulls out colored markers and, and kind of a blank journal. And, and she showed me one, she did one time, where she drew this flower, and in the center of the, the flower, was, it, it said something like, worries for this week. And then each petal was in a different color and had like a different worry labeling that petal. And it was a flower with a lot of petals on it. <laughs> but it was beautiful, and it kept her engaged to color. And some of you are like, I could never do that. Yes, you could. God's inviting you into a greater freedom and fluidity in prayer. Less guilt, more freedom. All right, I'd be remiss if I did not talk about the New Testament teaching on the language of tongues. Now, I know when I bring up tongues, everybody is slightly nervous and weirded out, right? Because it's like, ooh, I'm Presbyterian. We don't do that. Um, <laughs> um, so let me just say a few things about this. Uh, first is that what, what are some of the concerns that people rightly have? One is that it's irrational, right? It seems irrational to be speaking in a language you don't know and were never, never taught and, 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 and praying in that way to God. But it's not irrational. What does Paul say if you look on page 9 of your bulletin in 1 Corinthians, which is his primary teaching on this? He says in verse 15, I will pray in the Spirit, in other words, with the language of tongues, but I'll also pray in words I understand. I'll also pray in English. I'll use my mind. Christianity never denigrates the mind. So, so the language of tongues is, comes alongside the rational. You might call it para-rational or maybe supra-rational, but it does not in any way demean, diminish, or, 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 or denigrate the life of the mind. And so it's not irrational. Another fear that people have around tongues is that I'm going to be out of control, and I don't want to be out of control. Actually, no, you won't. Because Paul says very clearly that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? It means that you can start speaking in tongues, and you can stop speaking in tongues. 
You can start bringing a prophecy, a word of encouragement and exhortation to the church, and you can stop doing that. Just like I can start preaching or I can stop preaching. Because God's a gentleman. He is not going to take you out of control. And so uh, maybe your concern is that you were taught somewhere that every Christian had to speak in tongues, and that was a sign that you were finally spiritual. Well, that's not true. Because Paul says very clearly, do all believers speak in tongues? And he says, no, of course not. It's one among many gifts, but it is a good gift, and here's how it works. Paul says in verse 15, I pray in words I understand, I also pray in the Spirit. I sing in the Spirit, I also sing in words I understand. So the grace of, of, of the gift of tongues, that language, is that when your mind is running at 7,000 RPM and ready to like heat, overheat the engine, you can say, well, mind, you go over and do that, since I can't seem to slow you down right now, and I'm just going to pray in the Spirit and let my Spirit connect to God's Spirit and use this language of tongues. Now, I know that I've surfaced something that needs a, even a lot more teaching around this, and Father Stewart's going to be teaching in depth on this topic in our midweek services this fall. I believe it's November 20, and so I encourage you to come to that. But some of you, you're like, hey, why not? Why would I not want to ask God for this gift? I might ask it multiple times, and that's great. And let's see what God might do, because it might be an additional language to help me. But whether you pray with tongues or not, there are all these other languages of music and art and the languages of the Spirit that you can use to pray. All right, let's go to the third and and final resource I want to mention this morning, which is that you can pray with other people. You can pray with your body, you can pray with other languages, and you can pray with other people. Now, I don't know how you were taught as a, as a younger Christian, but here's what I basically absorbed. Praying by yourself in a quiet time, awesome. Praying with other people, cheating. <laughs> okay, now obviously we need both in our lives, but it's not cheating to pray with others. You look at the early church, and you get the sense that corporate prayer was huge for them. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So this is good news for some of you extroverts, the kind of people for whom the thought of a silent prayer retreat by yourself is a torture, okay? You can get together with your friends in your prayer cell and pray, and your mind won't wander as much because you're together with them, and you're praying. Twelve times a week, right in that chapel, right back there, All Saints Prayer Chapel, we have morning prayer and evening prayer. You can come out and pray with other people here from Resurrection. Uh, I've had a prayer partner in my life for 25 years, and he had the gall to move away from Wheaton. Um, I think I've forgiven him for that, but we still pray together. We used to be able to pray together every week, uh, once a week at lunch, but now we pray on the phone about every three weeks. And we call each other, and I say, hey, what is going on for you? And he tells me, and, and then he says, what's going on for you? And I tell him, and then we pray for each other right there on the phone. So you can have a prayer partner and pray. Even if you can't physically be with the person, you can be there and pray together, and you stay focused that way. And and some of you are like, I can't even get away. I have kids. I can't even do that. You can pick up a book of prayers, like the Book of Common Prayer, and pray along with the greats like Thomas Cranmer, John Chrysostom, and others whose prayers have found their way in through the life of the church into the Book of Common Prayer, and you pray with other believers there. Okay. Now, my goal this morning is not that you remember everything I've said. 
I don't even want you to feel any guilt like you've got to do anything I've said. I just want you to feel the freedom. I want you to feel like an invitation that maybe there was one thing this morning that stood out for you and that you felt like maybe you had the nudge of the Holy Spirit or you were like, wow, that would help me. I would feel freer in prayer. I know I would pray better and more if I were introducing that. Some of you, maybe it's just this truth that when your mind wanders, and it will, that you would not go into frustration, guilt, and insecurity, but you would just go into humble self-acceptance and offer even your wandering thoughts as a prayer to the Lord. That in itself would be profound, I know, for many of you. Others of you, it's praying with your body and bring your body into your prayer life in meaningful ways. Let your body do part of the praying with you and for you. So others of you, it's bringing in languages of music and art and the language of the Spirit. Others of you, it's praying with other people and stopping thinking that you have to do this Christian project on your own. You were never intended to. If it doesn't work that well, it's because it wasn't intended to. So my goal for you all today, friends, is just that you would, you would have your guilt lowered and you would have your freedom raised up and that you would begin to pray in new ways and creative ways that the longings of your heart would begin to rise up to God that we would see a release of prayer such that we have never seen it here at resurrection friends we have too much work from God to do without the united constant creative prayers of all of us as a people God is looking to us as kind of a central church in a regional revival of word and sacrament. Why do you think he gave us this building? Why do you think he gave us this bishop? We have so much to do. We have people in Wheaton who know nothing about Jesus Christ. And if anything, they think that Christianity is a bad thing. They have no idea that you could have a life-giving, healing community. How are they going to be one? No one comes to the Father except they be drawn. You know, no one comes to Jesus Christ and says to be drawn by the Father. That all has to be one in prayer. And so I just invite you, no guilt, no shame, just absolute freedom. What would your prayer life be like if you would just take one simple thing out of this morning's message, as simple as it is, and just begin to see what kind of freedom you could have in prayer? Amen.